greetings to each one in Jesus' precious name. It's good to be here this morning with you. We all missed you uh, last week, and the children were pretty heartbroken this morning for not being able to come. They would love to be here. This morning, um, I, I just had some questions to get our minds thinking um, as we begin, and Glenn's prayer had to do with this. A lot of the, the church services today had to do with what I was going to speak about, so it will just be a continuation. First question I had is, is your walk current with the Lord? Do you identify as a child of the King? Is it obvious that your life is hidden in Christ and that you are a willing participant in the sufferings of Christ as well as given evidence to the resurrected spirit? Now that's a long question, but it is a question. That you have died to the flesh with its affections and lusts and have been risen with Christ as evidenced by the power of a transformed life. Is, can you answer yes to those questions this morning? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. Corinthians 11, starting at verse 26. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the blood, body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and, let, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that drink, eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So the idea this morning is that we'd examine our own lives and see just how we are. The, the bread and the cup are emblems which symbolize the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord. Those who partake of these emblems in communion witness to their union with Christ and demonstrate the fellowship of the brotherhood the body of Christ, and show forth his death until he comes. Now that's a direct quote from our statement of faith. If your walk is current and vibrant with God and you're living in harmony with the Holy Scriptures and the church, you are ready to partake of communion. But by eating the bread and drinking the cup, you're saying that you are one with Christ, that you um, are in a position that says, I'm in fellowship with Christ. Let every man examine himself. Is that the position you find yourself in today? Colossians 3, a couple verses there. Colossians 3, starting at verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And I'm going to make an attempt to simplify that which is so hard to accomplish in the real world. But the reality is that what God is looking for is a day-to-day -day relationship with his children. He does not want wish for us to reconnect every six months over a cup of grape juice. That is not what God's desire was. It wasn't that, okay, now I'm going to reconnect with my children. He wants that connection day to day, hour to hour, minute by minute. He wants that connection to be vibrant. He wants that connection to be intentional. 
Now, there is this time of examining our lives in a more critical fashion before communion, but this time should serve as a strengthening of our relationship with God and with one another, rather than a drawing back together. But, you know, I've heard the term, um, I think it was at conference, and it, it stuck out to me. It was called spiritual preventive maintenance. And, and I was like, well, I kind of like that. Preventive maintenance means that you're, you're maintaining in order that there's not huge breakdowns. And so if we're doing spiritual preventive maintenance, some of that can occur around communion. As we examine our lives, as we see things in our lives that um, have, have shifted out of place, and, and then we can do some preventive maintenance so that we're not all of a sudden faced with a large spiritual breakdown. If coming back into proper standing with God is what is necessary, then that's what needs to happen. But this morning, I would like to present us with some truths from the Bible that I hope will aid us in a day-to-day -day walk. When I was thinking about this, it was hard to know where to begin. But as a child of the king, the fruit that you're bearing is the evidence of a new birth experience. So the fruit that is born is a reflection of our affections. Is that an accurate statement? The fruit that we bear is a reflection of our affections. So what have we set our affections on this morning? If my affections, my interests, my mentality, my focus of my mind, if they are focused on the things of this world, then I will continue to yield the fruit that is produced by a life of sin, by a life of self-centeredness, by a life of pride. But before I go too deep into this, let's look at something else. Although it's an individual choice to become a child of God, it's not a, a journey that we need to partake in alone. We've been given all the help. We've been given all, everything that we need to be able to make this journey, to be able to be successful in our Christian walk. It's not a journey that we embark on our own strength. And so some people will say, well, are you saying that I'm trying too hard? Am I trying too hard to be a Christian? And I, I'm very doubtful of that because uh, our normal mentality is we don't try too hard. <clears throat> but there is a chance that you're trying too hard on your own resources, on your own flesh, on your own, you're not, using what's been given to you in the scriptures to be able to be successful. And, and I've been guilty of this as well, where I don't claim the promises that I've been given or that I put on, back to a couple Sundays ago, I put on some of the armor, but I don't put all the armor on. You know, we have to be clothed with all the armor. We have to, when God, he laid out a lot of things for us to be successful, but then we have to do those things. Second Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that are obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given us given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises 
that by these things you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So if this morning, if we're a born-again Christian, we have been redeemed. You and I have obtained redemptions through the righteousness of God and the shed blood of Christ. So everything God does, he does right. He, he doesn't go about it in a haphazard way. So when he redeemed us, he didn't just say, well, now you go and do the right thing. Uh, he gave us provisions to do the right thing. It goes on to say, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. So I'm no math whiz, but if you want numbers to get larger faster, you multiply them, right? Other than one and zero. So uh, the, the grace and peace being multiplied unto us, how does that happen? How is grace and peace being multiplied unto us? Well, it says that grace and peace is multiplied as our knowledge of God increases and is multiplied. So how does your knowledge of God increase and multiply? Well, it's through studying the scriptures. It's through being active in prayer. It's from being at church. So as our knowledge of God increases, we come to the realization that we've been given, it says, all things that pertain to life and godliness according as his divine power. And then he says he gave us these precious promises that we might be partakers of that divine nature. And that's what we need. If we're going to live day to day in, in uh, fellowship with Christ, we need to be partakers of that divine nature. And I think therein lies the key. The Greek word for partakers means companion, fellowship, or partner. So when you think about sin, when you engage in sin, you make a directional shift away from that partnership. So your partnership is with Christ, the Holy Spirit, with God, and with believers. As if, if you're going towards sin, this group is heading in a direction. They're pressing towards a mark. And I'm, when I'm yielding to sin, I start changing my direction. And if I change it enough, I'm going to be going the wrong direction, which then becomes sin. But before sin takes place, there's a shift in direction. And that's when we can catch it. When you start to see that you're shifting directions where the, the, the path that leads to God is going this way, but you're all of a sudden veering off over here, you can catch it before it actually becomes sin. And you can take care of it and you can come back into fellowship and with the rest of the group. Romans 8. Romans 8, starting at verse 14. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed the heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And I think I read the wrong verse there because that didn't make any sense to me. Okay, let's try what I said to read. Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with them, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. The question this morning is, do you have the seal of God's spirit on your life this morning? And that's a new concept to me. Do you have the seal of God's spirit upon your life? And so when God looks at you, he says, that's my child because they bear my seal. And that was a good thought. I, I enjoyed that thought. And it, um, I think it, it's exceedingly obvious those whose kingdom you belong to, you're going to be, that mark's going to be on your life. It, it's going to show which kingdom you belong to. The book of James tells us that a man, when he sins, he's a drawn away of his own lust and entice. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So if we have that seal on our life, then in Ephesians 4.30 it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Why would we choose to sin and grieve the Holy Spirit? Or why would we choose to go against that very thing that is sealing us or establishing us as God's property? So often we don't think through it. And so we think, well, this looks enjoyable or, or whatever it is that causes us to sin. And we don't think that we are in the process of removing the stamp of God's approval in our life when we engage in sinful behavior. And then I thought back to the many times where I have grieved the spirit and it brought me much shame. You know, we should do everything in our power to have a very active and open ear for the spirit because that's what's going to help us in our day-to-day -day life how sensitive to the spirit are we this morning when the spirit prompts us of something in our life do we react immediately do we delay i i relate it kind of like i have a tooth that bothered me in my mouth and so since i do not like dentists I decided to not do anything about it. Um, and, and so initially the pain, you know, we make all these things. It's like sin. If you have sin in your life, well, dealing with it can be painful. It, it can cause us discomfort. And, and there's proper ways of going about it. But as my tooth, I was like, well, I can chew on the other side of my mouth. Or I can, you know, eat or drink warmer liquids and not eat so much ice cream. You know, there's, there's benefits of having a sore tooth in your mouth. And, and so we, we explain these things away. And, and after a while, the, the pain becomes less obvious as the roots die or whatever's going on. So it's, I'm not in as great a pain anymore. And, and when we do that with the Holy Spirit, his prompting was kind of painful at first. And after a while of ignoring it, suppressing it, and, and doing away with it, it's, it's not, oh, you barely hear it at all anymore. And that is not a position that we want to be in because that, that's not going to get us anywhere in life. A sensitivity to God's spirit is critical for our success. Ephesians 1.11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom also, tr whom also ye, in whom ye also trusted, 
that after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So this predestination thing here, he's talking to the Ephesians, and, and, it's, and it's a wonderful thought that God, before the creation of the world, determined that there would be a redemption plan for you and I. And that's a blessed thought this morning. He determined before he even created the world that I'm going to provide redemption for sinners like us. <laughs> and we weren't Jews. We weren't chosen. We weren't um, his chosen people. Yet he had a plan before, from the very beginning. <clears throat> and it also speaks about sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So let's quickly establish something that's a little bit controversial to some who choose to be controversial. You are a slave to someone this morning. You're a slave to someone this morning. <clears throat> either you were not bought with a price, or either you were bought with a price and you're a slave to righteousness, or you have yielded yourself to the enemy and you're a slave to the devil, in essence. There's, there's two camps. You're part of one this morning. Romans 6, 16 states this, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. That servant, that word servant literally means slave. You know, us as men especially want to be in control. We're in control of our own lives, we like to think. But it's, it's not really the, the truth. Um, we're controlled by our appetites and by our affections. And if our affections are on God, then God's controlling our life. Our, if our affections are on our flesh and our lusts, then Satan, in essence, is controlling some of our actions. But it's a unique kind of servanthood, or it's a unique, unique kind of slavery, uh, if you think about being a slave of Christ, because it's actually very freedom, free, and you have freedom in Christ, you have freedom knowing your sins are forgiven, you're free from the eternal destruction, you're free from a life of sin, but at the end of the day, you're still God's property. So it, it's a glorious uh, servanthood. And then I studied into this little word, um, earnest, which uh, in Ephesians 1, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Does anyone know what that means? Which is the earnest of our inheritance. And it, it started to mean a little more to you. Do you know what it means, Glenn? Down payment. Yeah, so when, when you work in real estate, and you're selling properties, and you desire to purchase another property, people put on an earnest payment, or an er they put down earnest money, and it's a pledge that that's going to be their property, and that they're going to take possession of it someday. So the Holy Spirit in our lives is God's down payment that someday he's going to redeem us for his own. And that's a precious thought. When he's given you the Holy Spirit, it's his pledge that he's going to one day redeem you and his own, which is at the, the coming of Jesus Christ and to our home in heaven. Now it gets better than that. 
Although we were slaves, we become more than a servant and we become sons and daughters. So it's becoming even more precious. Imagine being sons and daughters of Christ Jesus and God. We can't fathom that, but that's what we've been given through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Go with me to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, starting at verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed to the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that he might receive the adoption that he might receive the adoption of sons and because ye are sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying Abba Father wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son and of a son than an heir of God through Christ howbeit when ye knew not God ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods but now after that ye have known God or rather are known of God how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? So once you realize what has taken place and that we've, re we've been redeemed by God, and it says these words here, it says, after ye knew God, but more than that, after God knew you. After God knew you as his son, it says, why would ye then turn again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. So why, after we've become sons, why would we want to turn back to anything that would make us not sons? Well, the, the, we shouldn't, right? Now, we've all heard the statement, or I shouldn't say we've all, you've probably heard the statement, the devil made me do it. Have you heard that statement before? Now, I was going to write that off as that statement is totally, there's no validity to it. But there is a possibility that the devil may have made them do it. That is possible. Um, but the likelihood of the devil making a blood-washed child of God do anything hovers right around 0%, um, if not zero. I don't want to be just like, well, that's zero, because the devil can't. I haven't thought through all the possibilities. But I think it's vitally important to realize that when we sin, it's because we have given in to the allurements of the devil. We took the first step. He set the trap. He set the temptation. He set the desire. He set the whatever it is, but then we stepped into it. It wasn't he forced us or pushed us or pulled us. Um, we, it's something we've done on our own accord. He may have set a clever trap, but we've chose to do it on our free, own free will. Now turn with me to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. 
And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me, me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done for, to it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and I shall not prune nor dig, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain not upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Now this was spoken of, of Israel. What if it was said of us? Would our story be different? Is our story different? If the Lord planted a vineyard and his vineyard is our church and the people within the church are his pleasant plant, God took the time to nurture us. He took the time to put a hedge of protection about us. He picked the rocks. He picked all those things out. He he fertilized the soil. He did everything. He's given everything to us that pertains to life and godliness. And he even put a tower in the midst, which I compare in our lives to the Holy Spirit, to watch out for dangers, to alert us of things that um, we should be watching out for. What kind of fruit are we producing? It says they brought forth wild grapes. And I thought, well, that's not so bad. We go to the woods and pick wild berries and um, wild blueberries and different stuff but it wasn't just wild grapes it was poison grapes so it wasn't they weren't bringing forth just fruit that wasn't as good as it should be it was toxic fruit if you're facing what seems like unbearable temptations in your life is there any chance that the protections that were once offered you have been taken down because the fruit that was in your life is not the fruit that God was wanting to, for it to be there. So have, have we got to the point where some of our protections we've taken away ourselves? God put protections in place, but we've been lusting. We've been feeding on our flesh. And so some of those protections have been taken down. And if we don't make those right, we don't have the power to live above the next sin. It's, it's not possible. Then continue down to verse 11, Isaiah 5:11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. And the harp and the violet and the tambourine and the pipe and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore my people are gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. Their glory and their multitude, their pomp, and he that rejoices shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down, and the mighty man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lost, lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after the manner, and the waste place of the fat one shall strangers eat. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were a cart rope. And I actually wanted to focus mainly here on that last little verse. Just imagine when you sin, when, when you drift away from God, that there's a little string that gets attached to you. And so that string doesn't get cut off. It's just a little string and it gets attached to you. 
and you take it with you wherever you go until it's made right. Well, if it's just one sin, isn't it much easier to break that little string? Isn't it much easier to take care of it rather than taking it around with you? If you think back to the last time you fell into sin or were lured into sin, think about what was being portrayed to you. The drunk was told just one sip. The man addicted to smoking was just told just one cigarette. The man addicted to pornography was told just one glance. The person who struggles with bitterness hangs on to just one little wrong. The thief, just a little bit of jealousy. The rebellious, just a small disregard for authority. And it all started out so small and just one little thing. And Satan says, just, just a little bit. It's not going to hurt. And then I thought, why do we risk so much for such a small indulgence? If all you're doing is taking a sip, why take any at all? If just a glance, why look? If just you're not going to uh, get vengeance on that person that wronged you, why harbor bitterness? Why harbor animosity in your heart? If you're not going to gain the whole world, why let material success drive you at all? You know, there's, there's these different things that Satan says, just a little bit, just a little bit. Why a little bit when it can cost us all things? What starts out so small, if not dealt with quickly and properly destroys our friendships, it destroys our relationships within our home, it can rip our churches apart, ends up destroying us from within. You know, I didn't mention all sins, but each play out the same way. These small cords of sin intertwine and they multiply and they become from a cord of vanity, they turn into what they call a cart rope. And I was going to get with Joe and tell him to bring a, 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 a lead rope where suddenly it was a string at one time and now it's a big rope. And when that sin becomes a big rope, that's where it becomes where you're no longer in control anymore. So you were dragging the small sins around. Well, then, once that rope becomes big enough, sin starts dragging people around. And it's addictions. It's um, just bondage that people face when sin has, you've allowed it in the door, and you haven't gotten rid of it, and it says, now I'm going to take over. There's a reason that Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And the following verse says, who resist being steadfast in your faith, knowing that you're not alone, that your fellow Christians face the same things as you do. We have all the best defenses, the best weapons, the best protections against anything the devil throws at us. We must learn to resist the devil so he is in the process of fleeing from us. 2 Timothy Turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every man that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself... From these things he shall be a vessel under honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, 
prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preeventual will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. I was thinking about this thing of foolish and unlearned questions. Do we question the truth? And I was going to say, well, never question the truth. But I will say this. Know the reason why you're questioning the truth. Is it to become, is it to have a deeper understanding of what the truth is? Because Herod questioned the truth and he ended up condemning an innocent man. Um, he knew what the truth was, but he questioned it. So often people question truths that they know to be fact. I think that's probably where atheists come about. They, there's facts that they know to be true, but they don't want to believe it. So they start questioning it. And eventually God turns them over and says, fine, you don't need to believe that. It says, we, we must not do that knowing they gender strife and the servant of the Lord must not strive. When we engage in sinful behavior, we are actively working toward our own destruction. It says, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. So when we engage in sinful behavior, we're in the process of destroying ourselves. And the fowlers of Paul's day, they would either ferment the grain or they would drug the grain, and these birds would come in on their own free will, because they were bird brains, right? And they were just thinking about eating, and they, they go to the grain, and they're eating, and they become intoxicated. And when they go to fly away, they can't do it because they've been fooled. And so the fowlers could easily go up to them and cast their net over them. Satan works in the same way. He gives us a little bit of intoxicating substance, whatever it is. And when we feed on the flesh, there comes a point where we don't escape ourselves. And he takes advantage and he takes us captive at his own will. That is why we must not make any provision for the flesh. I mentioned that a while back, but it's critical that we do not make any provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. If, if you're making it easy for the devil, he's a cunning, mighty warrior, and, and he will win. If you make provision for him, it's just a matter of time before he conquers you. If you don't make provision for him, it's not giving him that opportunity to conquer you. If you know that there's places that you should not go, don't go there. The world's music, you know, are we putting it in our headphones and piping that stuff right into our brain? And before we know it, we're in the bondage of sin again. Uh, the world's entertainment, you know, the majority of it is sanctioned by none other than the devil himself. What we read, what we listen to, what we watch, what we willingly and hap happily engage in that is wrong is, is Satan, he's just there clapping his hands. He's like, they took the bait and they're gonna be my captives here soon. If we are mindful whose we are and where we are heading and we're having daily communion with our Lord and Savior, communion with our church family will be oh so sweet. 
Think about that. If you're spending daily time with God, around the time of communion, it'll just be a blessed time. Hebrews 11:13. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly, if they had been mindful of the country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. This morning, is God proud to be our father, or is he ashamed at the actions of his children? Set your affections on things above, and guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. May God bless you.